some... Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> uh... I said to Pam last week, she got here. Pam's got these banners. <laughs> and uh, she often messages me about them. And... Um... <laughs> And you know, she gave, she sent me this whole big thing one day about you know scriptural scriptural references for for banners and worship, and uh, I never replied actually. I don't think did I. That's a bit rude of me. No, it's a bit harsh. And then last week she turned up. Last week she turned up here, and we're in the prayer time. I said, Pam, have you bought your banners this morning? And she went, No. Faith is bringing the banners, you know, even before the pastor said pull out the banners. <laughs> but, uh, so Pam had her banners this morning. I just love it. I, I love that we're a church that, you know, we, we, can, we can worship however's comfortable for us. And if, you, if, that, if that's it, you go for it. If that weirds you out, sorry. Uh, you know, you weird someone else out too. So that's, but God just loves it when we worship. He doesn't care how we do it. He just cares that he's lifted up. Uh, I'm having a slight technical problem with my iPad this morning. Uh, that either means that I'm not supposed to preach this message. Or, nope, there it is. I just. Uh, select all. I know what I've done. I know what I've done. Bear with me for just a moment because the problem is I've had a little bit going on with Christmas in the park and Virgil and Elvis are getting married on Wednesday, on Friday. So, you know, we've got lots of things going on and I've, I've done. Yeah, I know. Come on. And so um, caught up with the youth yesterday and did the preaching workshop and wrote my own sermon, and they actually helped me write my sermon. You know, they helped me sort of put some finishing touches off. They don't know that. But they're going to be judging me this morning. They're going to be marking off on the card to go, like, all those things that you said we should do, are you going to do them? And in the midst of that, what I have done is I have failed to put my uh, sermon in the right format. So I'm just buying a little bit of time talking to you, distracting you. You have no idea what's going on here. Push that button, push the landscape button, uh, push the export button. Uh, push that one. No, no, not that one. Oh my goodness. Have we got a teenager in the room? They could uh, open in another app. Open in another app. Copy to iBooks. There we go. Ha <laughs> ha. Hopefully it all goes there. It's... All right. All right, all right, all right. Have you, got the, have you got your Bible with me this morning? I want you to turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 28. The book of Isaiah, chapter 28. Hey, where'd you go? Well, we ain't doing this. Luke chapter 10 said, I've given you authority over snakes and scorpions and technology. <laughs> Bo's building a new computer for us at the moment too, so that's good. Why can't I find the book of Isaiah this morning? It's not off, we're not off to a good start. <laughs> it's in the Bible. Oh, that would explain it. I'll put my Quran away. <laughs> You don't. You weren't sure if you were allowed to laugh at that for a minute. You were. The, I'm going after all the religious spirits this morning, and I would like to clarify: I don't own one. Uh, anyway, well, um, Isaiah 28. This morning uh, is the last part of a series that we're called that we're in called the journey. It was going to be a four-parter, but I've made it a three-parter, uh, and it's about the journey that we are all on as Christians, and uh, it's about the journey that we're called to invite others into. I mean. And it's this bizarre kind of paradox, because have you noticed, we're all on the same journey, aren't we? We're all on the same journey to become like Christ. You know, you ask any question, what's the Christian journey? We're all on the same journey. But we could pass a microphone around this room this morning, and we would find out that everybody's journey looks quite different from one another. And so we're on the same journey, but we're on a different journey. And I don't understand how that works, I just know that it works. Uh, we can sometimes make the mistake of assuming that everybody else's journey should look like ours. 
and even trying to enforce our journey on other people. And I've seen that turn really quite horrible before. So the question I started with somewhere between six and 12 months ago when I started writing this series uh, was what do we need to learn about God and what do we need to learn about the journey so that we can become more effective at drawing people closer to Christ? We want to be more effective? We want to draw people to Christ rather than push people away from Christ, amen? And so in week one, we looked at the difference between God's acts and God's ways. The book of Psalms says that Israel knew God's acts, but Moses knew God's ways. And so we talked about that. The difference between, uh, you know, it's one thing to know what God does. It's another thing to know his heart behind it. And if you try to make an assumption on the character of God based on one or two actions, you'll arrive at the wrong conclusion. If you try to make an assumption about my character based on one thing you see me do, I guarantee you'll arrive at the wrong conclusion. But if you interpret every act I do through, the, through knowing my heart first, you'll understand it. It'll change how you see it. And so it's important for us to understand not only God's act, but also God's heart. And so we looked at how we can often just take one verse and we can live on that or a couple of verses, but we need to take the whole person of God and understand what that looks like. Uh, and then last week, we looked at the importance of protecting the process rather than protecting the outcome. And I talked about how, as, as Christians, we can get so caught up with trying to stop anyone making a mistake or trying to protect the outcome that is the only outcome that we can see, you know, that, that we, we like put these rigid processes in place that actually hurt people instead of, uh, instead of giving them life because we're making blanket policies or we're trying to do things. And so I talked about the need to rediscover that process, which was we need to learn how to discern truth. We need to be able to learn what God is saying here, now, and today, because God is still speaking. Yep. And then the second part of that is we need to discern how to apply that truth. It's not enough to know truth. It's enough to know how to apply truth. So for the example I used in that one was when the Pharisees brought the woman caught in the act of adultery before Jesus. They said, hey, in as many words, they said, your dad says, your dad wrote, the law of Moses, which Jesus believes in, says that this woman should be stoned. What do you say? And we talked about how Jesus believes the law of Moses, so he discerns the truth, but, but he apl- what does he do? Does he stone her? No. And so he's going, it's one thing to know truth, it's another thing to know how you apply truth through the lens of Jesus, through the heart of God. And so we need to look at both of those things. It's one thing to know that someone, you know, we, we go, you know, God hates divorce. I've heard people say that, and, and, and I agree with that. How many people here been through a divorce go, that was awesome, I'd do that again tomorrow? No. You agree with me that God hates divorce because you hate divorce. Nobody likes divorce. And so we go, the truth is God hates divorce. But when someone's going through it, how do we apply that truth? Or, or you know, we, we know what the Bible says about marriage, but when something happens that doesn't fit our context, of that, how do we apply that? Because often what we've just done is gone, that's wrong, sort it out. And that actually causes way more hurt than it does healing. And we talked about this, this idea that, uh, I love this quote that I learned while I was in Bethel, that the Bible is deliberately written paradoxically, in a paradox, I'll change that, the Bible is deliberately written in paradox, so you can't live by principles, you can only live by the prince. Even if you could commit the whole Bible to memory, it wouldn't be enough, because the Bible, the Bible is all God's word, but it is not all of God. And, and so we need to be able to continually bring this to God and go, what does the prince say? Because if we just try to live by the book, if we try to, didn't Paul say this? Didn't Paul say this in Galatians? He said, you who started out in the spirit, why are you now going back to the letter of the law? Like, I just want you to know, this isn't me saying this, this is, this is God saying this. 
Way and test it. So these are brief summaries. I can't do the whole message justice. I'd encourage you to listen to our podcast uh, or head to our website to hear both of these messages in full and this morning's. Uh, I would say this is probably the most important series I have preached all year with, in regards to what I believe God is calling us to do as a church and a ministry to the future because God is going to continue to bring people into this, into this house that are not squeaky clean because he already has. And if you don't believe me, you go home and you look in a mirror. Anyway, I want to start with this passage of Scripture this morning and then introduce my thought. Isaiah chapter 28, I want to read from verses 5 to 10. Hopefully you've got it by now. If you don't have it, you're never going to get it. It's on the screen as well. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and this is what it says. Uh, It says, Then, at last, the Lord of heaven's armies will himself be Israel's glorious crown. He will be the pride and joy of the remnant of his people. He will give a longing for justice to their judges. He will give great courage to their warriors who stand at the gates. Now, however... Israel is led by drunks who reel with wine and stagger with alcohol. The priests and prophets stagger with alcohol. They lose the, let's just read that again. The priests and prophets stagger with alcohol and lose themselves in wine. They reel when they see visions. You thought our eldership team was bad, I tell you. It's <laughs> they reel when they see visions. They stagger as they render decisions. Their tables are covered with vomit. Filth is everywhere. I just love the imagery of the Bible. Who does the Lord think we are, they ask? Why does he speak to us like this? Are we little children just recently weaned? He tells us everything over and over, one line at a time, one line at a time, a little here and a little there. I want to talk to you from the thought this morning, building bridges. There's already been a little bit of talk about building bridges. We talked about uh, Bruce and Karen and and Sarah and and, uh, Russell being bridge builders. And... um, so we're going to talk about building bridges this morning. You know one of the things that I really hate? I don't know, hate's a strong word to use in church, but I'm going to use it. I hate it when people ask for directions. It's not just because I'm a man. I just, it's, it's not the asking for directions, it's the asking me for directions. <laughs> and it's not because I don't like being helpful. It's, it, I love meeting new people, and I love trying to help. But the bit, the bit that frustrates me is I don't know how many times someone's pulled over, like going down High Street or something, when you're walking down, and, and, and they say, hey, can you tell me how to get to such and such? And you go, and I hate it because the same thing happens every time. I know where it is. I know where it is, and I know exactly how to get there. And so I say, yeah, sure. What you want to do is head down High Street there, and then you want to turn left onto Beaver Road. And when you get up, you want to take the second right onto, onto Arthur Street. Don't take the first one because that'll be weird. Make sure you take the second one. From there, you're going to want to get onto Lee Street. You want to go up and you want to turn right. And, you say, and the same thing happens every single time. You get to instruction three, and they go. <laughs> and, they, and, and they look at you and go, so I go down High Street, and then what? <laughs> and I hate it because what, what, I, you know, what I actually, it's just, what I actually want to do is go, kind of, let's make it like a treasure hunt. Let's make it like a quest. I'm going to give you the first two turns, and when you get there, find someone else who will give you the next one. <laughs> you know, because I, go, I, I could give you all the instructions, and it's not helpful if you just go, yeah, it's over there. <laughs> By the way, don't follow those instructions that I just said, because if you do, there's a way easier way to do it. You go down High Street, you turn left onto Lee Street, and that, that, <laughs> that's it. It'll get you to exactly the same place. I just needed an example. <laughs> yes, I, I got no idea, no idea where it is. And, and so every single time, and nobody ever has a pen or paper when they ask that question. Nobody ever has a pen or paper, so you can't write it down. You know, and, and part of me wants to go, it's the 21st century. Even the most basic phones have a map app now. Like, use it. 
if you have it, you, you know. But no, we like to do community. And I love to try and be helpful, but I just hate that you get to instruction number three and they go, <laughs> and you just see their eyes glaze over. Have you ever asked someone for a question? Have you ever asked someone a question, I should say? Maybe for directions or instructions on how to build something or fix something, and the answer they gave you was way too complicated. Oh, excuse me. The answer they gave you was way too complicated or way too much information. You just didn't get any of it. Bo's building a computer at the moment for the church, and he's telling me all about it. I'm like, what? <laughs> Does it go? Will it run the video? Like, if I push... <laughs> oh, man. It's more than just directions. And... Um, Remembering all the steps is hard, especially if the journey is unfamiliar. It's hard enough to remember all those instructions I just gave you if you're from Blenheim and you know the street names. It's even harder if you're brand new to Blenheim and don't know the names of any of them. So what about if you're new to the Christian journey? And you go, Shannon, how do I become more like Jesus? And I go, oh, cool, that's easy. What you want to do is head on down to a Christian bookstore, get yourself a Bible. You want to start with some basic verses. You want to memorize John 3.16, 2 Corinthians 5.17. There's some really good ones in Philippians, so I would recommend you just read that whole book. I would also recommend that you read the Gospels first. Maybe start with John because that's a really popular one to start with. Also, you're going to want to get yourself involved with a life group. You want to go to make sure that you want to pray, I would say, morning and night. You're going to make sure that you click five minutes. And, and, and the same thing happens. They go... Is what you said true? Yes. Is it helpful? No. <laughs> I love the modern invention of a GPS. I've just installed a GPS in my car, and it's, it's not working at the moment because... <laughs> I'm so glad you get so much amusement out of my life. That's just... just Anyway, I got this GPS in my car, and when it works, it's, uh, it's great because you put in the start destination, where you are, and the end destination, and then it works, out, it works out everything in between, and then it gives you one step at a time. It goes, in 100 meters, turn right. And you know what I've never asked in my entire time of following a GPS? Then what? Like, what, what next? I don't care. I, I want to know that question when I get around the corner. So it gives it to me one step at a time. I'm a simple man. I am a simple man. If, my, if I turn my GPS on and it went, yo, you want to go to Christchurch, what you want to do is get here, 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 I'd go, well, can we go back to the beginning, please? You know, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, says, the mind of a man plans his path, but then the Lord directs his steps. The mind of a, I'm reading a different translation to that one. The mind of a man prepares his path but the Lord directs the steps. See, I decide the start destination and the end destination of my GPS, and then the GPS works out all the turns in between. Let's go back to our text this morning, Isaiah 28. You know what I love about this passage of Scripture? The hilarious comparison. See, in verse 5 and 6, God says, then at last the Lord of heaven's armies will, him, will be himself Israel's glorious crown. He will be their pride and joy. He will give them a longing for justice and a great courage to their warriors. This is a beautiful picture of Israel. Who'd like to be described as those people? Like this is, this is what God describes. And then he goes back and he goes, but now, however, <laughs> oh man, Israel is led by drunks. The priests and the prophets stagger with alcohol and lose themselves in, lime, in wine. Lime. <laughs> 
They reel when they see visions and stagger as they render decisions. Their tables are covered with vomit and filth everywhere. I just love it because God is describing the same people in verse 5 and 6 as 7 and 9. And they don't sound like even the same people at all. They don't sound like the same nation. They sound like two completely different people. You know, I was talking with the youth the other day, and, and uh, Jess Bright said to me, could you ever ima- have imagined me sitting here doing this today when I first came into youth group five years ago? No. Not even. Not even. You know, I could have never imagined that, that John and Sharon, who could barely say boo to a goose, you know, could barely say hi to me when I first started here, you, you know, w- would be coming to a course going, teach us how to preach, teach us how to share the Word of God with a group of people. Often, we look at what, you know, you get these two comparisons. If you were to take me now and you were to take me when I was a 14-year-old and I first walked into church, oh, you would not have given me a job, I can assure you. Uh, but aren't we grateful that the Bible says that God sees the end from the beginning? God sees the end from the beginning. Not only that, the Bible says God is faithful to complete that which he has begun. Romans chapter 4, verse 17 says, God calls those things that aren't as though they already are, and also that. (laughs) Later on in Isaiah chapter 46, God says that he sees the end from the beginning. And that's exactly what's happening here. God is saying, this is what you are right now, but this is what you're going to become. What if we could learn to see new Christians coming into the church or people who aren't even yet Christians in our community, instead of seeing them where they are, instead of seeing them what they're in right now, instead of seeing what they're going through, we could see what God wants them to become. What if we could change our mindset? What if we could look beyond what's in front of us to what's in front of us? The biggest problem we have in the world today, and and the church has been guilty of being just as bad, is writing people off based on where they are right now, instead of where they're about to go. But much like that GPS I mentioned before, there's a current location, there's a final destination, and they're not the same thing. There's a current location and a final destination, and there's a journey in between. And like that GPS, God usually takes that journey one step at a time. The Israelites were like this in in Isaiah 28. Look Look at their complaint in verse 9 and 10. In verse 9 and 10, it says, Who does the Lord think we are? They ask. Why does he speak to us like this? Are we little children just recently weaned? He tells us everything over and over, one line at a time, one line at a time, a little here, a little there. For it is do and do, rule and rule, precept upon precepts, untranslation. In other words, why is God treating us like babies, giving us one direction at a time? Just tell us the whole story. Just tell us the whole story. Have you ever done that? Have you ever felt like that as a Christian, where God asks you to do one thing and you go, I don't understand this. God, why can't you give me the whole story? Ten like you ain't like this this morning. You ever gone, God, I just wish I knew the end from the beginning. I wish I could see the, all the steps in between. You know what I think God would say to you? Remember that one time you tried to get directions to Kmart and got lost in the wop-wops? If, if you can't handle four directions to Kmart, what makes you think you could handle all the things I'm going to do in your life in your next five years right now? How about you just take one step at a time? In fact, I imagine that when these people wanted to go, who does the Lord think we are? Why does he keep treating us like babies, giving us one step at a time? I imagine that God's reply would probably have been something like this. You still haven't done the last thing I asked you to do. Like, I gave you a simple instruction, and you're struggling with that. (laughs) Why would I give you step two right now? Good preaching, amen. Anyone relate to me this morning? I'm I'm right there with you. (sighs) 
<laughs> so often, when people come into the church, we, we can be patient and loving with them before they come Christian, become Christians. And then the moment they become a Christian, the moment that they put that end, that new destination in their GPS, we start being those kids at the back going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are you there yet? Have you done it yet? Are you perfect yet? Have you been saved yet? Have you been baptized yet? Have you read the whole Bible yet? Have you prayed yet? Are you part of a life group yet? You're just like the child in the back. <laughs> instead of being like the GPS, I, I, I propose that instead of being like the child in the back seat, we want to be the voice of the GPS. What's the next step? What's the next turn? How can I help you? How can I get you around the next obstacle? What's the very next thing that God's challenging you on in your life? And it was probably, I've said this before several times, it's probably not the first thing that God challenged you with in your life. Because our journey is the same, but our journey is different. If we all want to go to the same destination, we all want to go to Christchurch. But I leave from Blenheim and someone else leaves from Nelson, we'll take two different roads. Now, hear me on that. There is only one way to Jesus. There, there, is, there is only one way to God, and that's Jesus Christ. It's not like there's this road and this road. But it's a different outworking of the same Jesus. Does that make sense? Not too her 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 heretical, this one? Good. See, sometimes we're only capable of one instruction at a time. And I often ask, you know, one of my favorite questions to ask when I'm doing coffee with people or when I'm catching up with, you know, when I was mentoring young people, is go, what's God asking you to work on at the moment? What's that, what's that one thing? Forget about, you know, and often we default to the big thing because that's the thing that the church has told us that that's the thing we should get sorted out. Actually, go, no, no, ask God, what's the one thing he wants to work on in your life right now? It might be that one, and if it is, let's do it. it you know, it might be the fact that you're sarcastic. You know, in the, in, the book of in, the book, in the book of James, in the book of Acts, chapter 17, we've got the story which I've used many times over the last couple of weeks about the, the first council and, you know, of, of what are we going to do about these new Gentiles becoming Christians? What are we going to do about, um, you know, uh, do they need to circumcise, them to circumcise themselves to become like us or, or, or all these sorts of things? And there's this quote, and you can go look this up in Acts, no, not Acts 17, that was the one we used last week, <laughs> Acts 15. And, and you can go look this up and... and you will find it. James says, when they're talking about all these things, James says, let us not make it too hard for those coming into the church. That's in the Bible. Let us not make it too hard for those that are coming to faith. And they come up with three instructions. There we go. My, so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And so they come up with three instructions. They start with, don't eat meat sacrificed to, old, sacrificed to idols. Uh, there's another one where they talk about abstaining from sexual immorality. And, yep, anyway. The point is, these aren't, it wasn't that these were the only three rules, because we all know that reading the, reading the Bible, there's more that God wants us for. The point is, these weren't the only three rules. These were the first three rules. L like, let, let's just give them this to work on. Because they, they're, they're coming in and, and they're wanting to change. Again, they're not saying let's force this on them. They're coming in and going, look, we, we really want to follow this. We really want to change. Our one question is, do we have to be circumcised? <laughs> Which, if you were a 30-year-old man, you would have the same question. And so they come in and, and James is going, let's not make it too difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. See, we know that we live in two cultures. There's kingdom culture and there's the culture of the world. And in the culture of the world, yes, we've got, you know, all our different, you know, it's very many different nationalities, but at a basic level, there's kingdom culture and there's the culture of the world. And those two things are different, yes? Very different. And so what we need to do is we need to build a bridge 
from one to the other. We need to bridge the gap for people that are coming from one kingdom to the other instead of going, hey, swim and don't drown. We need to bridge the gap. You know, you ever see that old poster, that old picture of Jesus bridging the chasm with the cross? We often try to build that bridge from our side. Don't we? We go, well, I'm over here. I'm going to build a bridge to you. And so this is the step. This is, the problem is we start with the last step instead of the first step. We try to build a bridge to you. Tell me, was that Jesus' approach? Did Jesus sit up in heaven and go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a bridge to you. I'm going to come down to you. I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to build a bridge from where you are. Tell me, uh, going, going a little bit back in time for my generation, but not so far back for some other generations in the church, how many of you ever heard of the game Lemmings? You ever play Lemmings? Uh, i got a video that I want to show you this morning. Uh, I used to play Lemmings. It was a puzzle game, and the goal was to get the Lemmings from the start to the finish, and there were all sorts of obstacles in the way. So uh, let's take a look at this one. <laughs> All right, bye, that'll do. <laughs> that'll do. Man, aren't we so grateful that graphics have come so far on televisions and computers since whenever that was made? <sighs> but did you see what happened? Oh, we're still playing. Look at them all. They're here, they're all, here they all come. But did you see what happened? As they started to build, they laid one brick at a time. And as the next one came up, they were able to walk all the way to where the last person had put a brick. And then they could start placing bricks for the next people. And I love it because you get gradually one person starts. One person starts laying down bricks and then another couple come along. And then before you know it, everyone who's following after behind is able to cross. Now, what would have happened if they'd done that from the other side? Or at the very least, if it hadn't been a ramp, because, okay, let's be honest, engineers in the room know that that's not the best way to build a bridge. <laughs> But at the very best, if we tried to build a flat one, we know that they wouldn't have been able to, they would have fallen down the gap until it had come all the way. And often that's what our Christian approach to discipleship can be like, is like, until you can do the whole thing. And it's not intentional. We always have good hearts, because our heart is to build a bridge. But what we can end up doing is actually creating, just wait, just wait, just wait, just wait. People don't wait. People either walk into the hole or they turn around and go home. One step at a time from where they are not where I am. See, I want my kids to understand. I want my kids to understand that I, I will discipline them. 
but not before they understand that I love them. See, I want them to understand both of those things, but I want them to understand one of those things first. I discipline you because I love you. You know, when, when someone comes in and, and we go, you know, where's the truth? Where's the word? Where's, yeah, yep, yep, yep. Don't disagree with you. We need the whole gospel. We need the whole truth. God calls us to holy life. But sometimes people need to come in and actually know that God likes them first. Sometimes that's a great starting point. That's why most Christian evangelism techniques start with, do you know God loves you? Often we get our steps out of order, or we assume that there is one set order, but remembering that everyone's journey is different. God might address something first with one person that he won't address till much later with someone else. Uh, I want to bring this now to a personal, uh, to to a really applicable level to give you some personal examples of how this might look in, in church. Uh, Erwin McManus, who's the pastor of Mosaic Church in Los Angeles, uh, I I heard him say this once. He was talking to a room full of book publishers, and he said this. He was was asked to speak to a room full of billionaires, Christian billionaires, who had, over the course of about 10 years, invested billions and billions and billions of dollars into uh, campaigns, political campaigns, uh, campaigns against certain things, you know, trying to protect Christian values in the community, trying to, uh, you know, try, trying to sign petitions, trying to do all these billions of dollars. And they, he said, they accidentally invited me to speak. Because <laughs> he stood up and he said, I want to tell you, you've wasted billions of dollars. He said, because you've spent billions of dollars trying to preserve culture, and you can't preserve culture, you can only create culture. You're taking notes this morning, you want to write that down. You, you, you can't preserve culture, you can't control culture, you can only create culture. And as, as, as Christians, we can spend a lot of time trying to preserve culture instead of create culture. Owen McManus always, also says this, the moment you choose to hold on to a culture from the past is the moment you relinquish the opportunity to create the culture of the future. God called the church to create the culture of the future. God called the church to be on the front lines. You know, Often, you know, one of the biggest stories I remember Pastor Ian telling us in Invercargill, he told us a story, I don't know the names, but when television was first sort of come up with as a concept and an idea was going to be launched, it was offered to the church. It was offered to Christians first. This guy went to them and went, hey, you, 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 want, you want this? And, and because they were trying to preserve culture, because, you know, we, we know from this morning technology is evil, <laughs> you know, they went, no, 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 we don't want it. What's the church spent the last 10 years trying to do? pay through the teeth to get a slice of the pie of television culture because we were too concerned with trying to preserve culture, control culture, then go, here's a new opportunity. How can we embrace this? How can we get on board with this? If the world is going this way, not that we condone, you know, again, I'm not talking about condoning sin this morning, but if this is where the world is, how do we speak to that? See, Jesus always spoke to culture as it was, not as it used to be or as he would rather have it. Jesus always spoke to culture when it was. I asked this question last week. How many believe that God's okay with slavery? If you do, I want to talk to you after the service. God's not okay with slavery, but in the New Testament, God tells you how to treat your slave. Not because he's okay with slavery, but because he goes, if this is where your culture's at, we're at least going to make some steps out of that. You know, if you read the Old Testament, you could fall into the trap of thinking that God hated woman. God didn't hate woman. People hated woman. Men hated women. And so God went, you know what? We're going, to make a few, we're going to make a few adjustments here. We're going to make a few tweaks. And Because and, if he turned up and said to all those priests, he went, okay, so here's the deal. Women have just as much right to lead as men. What would they have done? 
We've got to find a new, we've got to find a new Messiah. We're going to find... <laughs> and so he goes, okay, one step at a time. Here's the end destination. Here's the beginning. I see the end from the beginning. Let's talk about step one. Step one is if you're going to, you know, you read Deuteronomy, there's some crazy things. There's a verse that goes, if you capture an enemy territory and find a woman who's pleasing to you, you know, as long as you give her five days to mourn the passing of her parents after you've killed them, then shave her head and trim her nails, that's okay. Barbaric! Again, if that's what your God's like, I want to talk to you after the service. But it's God that said it. But actually what looks like a big backwards thing for us was actually the biggest move forward of women's rights in its time. So you're going to at least give them five days because they weren't doing that. And then it says, and if, you don't, if you're not pleased with her, you can send her away. And we go, uh. <laughs> but again, a big move forward, because he says, you can send her away, but you cannot sell her into slavery because it's you that's dishonored her. You got to understand, the people who are reading that would have been like, oh, I don't know, this is pretty liberal theology. I, I don't know if this is God. I, I don't think we should read this book anymore. You know, that guy Moses, I think we shouldn't. Because <laughs> we want to conserve our culture. You know how many times it talks about in the, in the New Testament, Jesus would, it says Jesus went, and it often has this little thing afterwards, as was custom. As was custom. In other words, as was culturally acceptable, Jesus would do this. Now, there were times that Jesus did things that weren't culturally acceptable. Broke the Sabbath. Healed on the Sabbath. You know, all sorts of things. We need to know when it's the time to break culture, when it's the time to speak into culture. One step at a time, one click at a time. Eric Johnson says this, you'll never have favor in a room you throw stones in. Sila. You'll never have favor in a room you throw stones in. See, I want to talk about one of the issues. See, someone bought me a, um, a petition a couple of years ago. And, and look, I'm not criticizing that. Someone bought me a petition about, you know, we, we need to talk about what Labour wants to do with the abortion in New Zealand. We have to address that. We need to go, oh, this abortion thing, it's a sin, it's such a diabolical, and they want to do this, and they want to do all these sorts of things. And, 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 and the heart of what, the, you know, does, does abortion break God's heart? It's not a trick question. The answer is yes. Would God like it if we didn't abort children? Yeah. But we can try to preserve culture and go, 50 years ago, we never did this. Or we can go, okay, our culture's a mess. How do we speak into culture? Yeah. See, to me, the biggest crime in New Zealand is not that abortion is legal. The biggest crime in New Zealand is that, a, is, a, is that a young woman can get to a place in her life where she feels like that's the only option available to her. What if instead of, pro, if, what if instead of the church protesting outside of, a, of family planning clinics and abortion clinics and doctor's clinics and all those sorts of things, what if the church, what if, what if I could go down to, to family planning tomorrow and go, hey, I have 10 families ready to adopt a child tomorrow. Not only that, I've got 15 families who are ready to take in a young mum who's looking at aborting a baby simply because she's terrified she can't do this on her own. And they'll take her in for the first year, two years if required. What if instead of trying to preserve culture, we tried to speak into culture? See, here's the thing. If we did that, what the world would say about the church would be exactly the same. They would go, you know what? The church is really anti-abortion. You know how we know? Because they're doing something about it. So we would still be pro-life. We would still be, you know, but, but, but our approach would be instead of trying to preserve culture or control culture and go, you can't do this, let's take the bad decision away, let's just introduce a road to Jesus. Let's introduce a way. Here's another question for you, I really want to throw the cat among the pigeons. Can a non-Christian behavior actually be an example of a more Christ-like life? <laughs> oh, you know, when I was at high school, I had this friend, his name was Jared, and he wasn't a Christian. Uh, 
And, and, and you know, we, we were teenagers. We were young teenage boys. I wasn't involved in church at that stage. And we had, we had different girlfriends on an average. I think the average Marlborough Boys College boy girlfriend's turnover rate would have been three weeks. <laughs> I once had a relationship that lasted two days. I met her once. That was... <laughs> Ah, oh, to be young and naive and silly and all these sorts of things. But this, this guy, Jared, he, he, was in a, he was in a relationship for the entire six years that we were at high school. Now, I know for a fact that he was, he, he, you know, probably, I really wish I hadn't said his name. <laughs> I was trying really hard not to for the purpose of the podcast and the tape. Uh, you know, <laughs> But I knew for a fact that he was, he was in an intimate relationship with this girl. But, you know, I also knew that most of my friends were for three weeks at a time. And so this guy was doing what was, 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 was actually sinful. But was it, a more, was it an example of actually more Christ-like behavior? Commitment? You know, I'm not, again, well, Sila, think on that one, dwell on that one. And, and so here's what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying it's right. But actually, there's things in our culture, you know, because the, the joy of when we get to lay bricks, we actually get to be an example in our imperfect way, where we're actually going, I'm still working this out, but other people are still looking, going, they're crossing the bridge, I want to cross the bridge. I want to talk about that, I want to see their life as an example. Now again, I'm not justifying sin, because here's the thing, going backwards is never an option. If you're listening to this this morning going, oh man, I've got plans for when I get out of here, No. Moving backwards isn't, a, isn't an option. I'll, I'll pull you for that. I'll, you know, but we're always moving forward, and we have to respect that that happens. Is that, is that okay? Elders at blenandbaptist.org.nz. We've got a meeting on Tuesday, so they're going to tell me exactly what they think about all of this. So Here's the thing. If, if we're going to change the world, if we're going to create, create culture, there's three things that we need to do. We need to be thoughtful. We need to be kind. And we need to live with deep conviction. I'm not asking you to change your convictions at all. We need to live with deep conviction. And then go, now how do we lay a stone? How do we build a bridge? We live in a culture that is what it is, and we can spend our time lamenting that, trying to stop that, or we can instead focus on how we reach that culture, how we build an off-ramp from the highway to hell. If you would want to put it that way. So my question to you this morning is, which side have you been building bridges from? What could you do differently this week to start building bridges from the other side? What, what could you do different at work this week, at school this week, at home this week, with your husband this week, with your wife this week, with your children this week, to, to build a bridge from their side to God's side? What's, and let's not talk about 20 changes because we know that we don't listen to direction. Let's talk about one. What's one change you could make, I could make, to our Christian ministry journey that would build a bridge? Because here's what happens when we build the bridge. People don't get further away from God. People get closer to God. Here's what happens when we build a bridge. We don't justify sin. People actually get more convicted of sin. People become more like Christ. People cross the chasm. People come in and they get changed. We continue to hold to our deep convictions. We continue to say things like, you know what, we believe that, that, that God is so upset when someone aborts a child and therefore, here's what we want to do to help. You know, there's, there's a story uh, about 
I'll finish with this. There's, there's a story. Ten monkeys put in an enclosure, and they build a ladder. They put a rope ladder or a ladder there for them, and they, have a, they, they had a bunch of bananas at the top of the ladder. And so the ten monkeys, they look at that, and they go, well, that's pretty all right. But whenever one of the monkeys goes to climb the ladder to get the bananas, the guy gets out a fire hose and he sprays all the monkeys, not just the one that climbed the ladder, all the monkeys. And so, you know, they go, oh, that wasn't very nice. A couple of days later, though, someone goes, oh, those bananas look pretty good. Maybe I'll try again. They climb the ladder. You know, all the you know, fire hose, all the, all the monkeys. The third day, one of the monkeys goes to climb the ladder. He sets foot on the ladder. The other nine monkeys grab him and throw him on the ground and start, and start beating the snot out of him. Because they go, when you climb the ladder, we all get hurt. This is how culture starts. This is how culture starts. Because here's what happens. They take one of the monkeys out and they introduce a new monkey. Who doesn't know the rules? And he goes and he touches the ladder and they, they beat him up as well. The monkey goes, what the heck was that about? Was that, I just want the bananas. Why don't you want the bananas? But he learns very quickly, don't touch, don't touch the letter. Our culture, you touch the letter, you get beaten up. One by one, monkeys pass on, new, new monkeys get introduced, until you've got 10 brand new monkeys who have never seen the hose. In fact, the man with the hose packs up and goes home. But there's 10 monkeys there who still refuse to touch the ladder. And they don't know why. They have no idea why. See, I, wanna, I want us to ask, I, I, don't, I don't have an answer, I just want us to ask the question, are there things that we have done in our culture of church? Are there things that we have done for years and years, and actually we're at the point where we go, if I think about it, I don't, I don't know why we do it that way. See, the reason that it was probably done that way 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, is because if you climb the thing, we're all going to, there was probably a reason for it. But are there things that we're doing now that actually we go, why aren't we allowed to climb the ladder again? Why, why aren't we allowed to sit with the broken again? Why, why aren't we allowed to? <laughs> and again, this is where it's so important to discern the truth. This requires us to lean closer into God, not further away from God because we're going to need to hear his voice so strongly. And I bless you to be a people that build bridges one plank at a time. And from their side, not our side. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you for the privilege that we have of all knowing you as our Lord and Savior. Lord, we want to thank you for the privilege that we have of, of being loved by you while we're still on the journey. Lord, the longer I'm in ministry, the more I become aware that I am so imperfect. The more I become aware of my own flaws, my own shortcomings. And Lord, it blows my mind that you would still go, yeah, but let's use you anyway. Lord, we want to know your heart. Lord, we want to know what you say. We want to know what you would do. Lord, we, we look at our world and we go, what is happening? But we know that your heart says that you win. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us new strategies. Lord, we pray that you would give us new hope. Lord, we pray that you would give us new victories. Lord, we pray that you would give us new words, new ministries, 
things that have never been done before because the world is in a place that it's never been before and therefore we're going to have to do something that's never been done before. Lord, I pray that we would hold on to everything except you loosely, but we would hold on to you so tightly. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us to all truth. Lord, you are the perfect balance of justice and mercy. And we need all of these things in our lives. Help us to know when to speak. Help us to know the time to give, the time to to stay, the time to convict, the time to be silent. Lord, the time to, to, to harvest and the time to tear up. Lord, all these things, we pray that we would be led by you. Lord, that we wouldn't get caught up in the culture of the world, but we would be, as you said, in this world, but not of this world. And Lord, we pray that the one who is greater that is in us than the one that is in the world would work all these things for his glory, for your glory, and for the transformation of this town and this nation. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Amen.